So I like to say it this way. You and I are very privileged in life to be able to go through uh, the history, the time that we live. I know that you may think, what? I don't know that I feel very privileged. But actually, that's how God works it. He, he puts us, and he, as he's put other people at different times, and God has promised that he would be with us and he would help us through those times. And so it really is a privilege to, in a sense, kind of live out and see mysteries, things that generations before us did not see, did not understand, to see those mysteries uh, revealed, again, knowing that it's moving forward to an end that God has planned himself. Of course, a lot going on in the Middle East, and um, I thought it was important as we are finishing up uh, 1 Corinthians to deal a little bit with what's going on there uh, because there are a lot of questions always that uh, people come up with. And so <clears throat> I'm, not gonna, I'm not political when, when I preach, just to let you know. Even though somebody told me after the service they wanted me to be more political. But I'm not political and, um, in, in one sense. But it may sound that way because I'm going to defend or say something about why Christians are attached to Israel and the people of Israel, why there seems to be this connection between us and them. The first, first reason is because um, of this country, the Christians that live in this country, uh, Israel is our ally. If you don't realize what that means, that means we ally ourselves who see things in a similar way, who have similar values, and we support one another. And that's what an ally does. So an ally doesn't go in and try to run another country or make them work. They support them in, in what they do and the things that they are going through. That's what we do with, with Israel. We, we should do that with Israel. That is absolutely our position. And just to let you know where I can say I'm not being political because both parties uh, in our country agree with that. That is their stance. They, they celebrate it. They stand with Israel. Both, you know, um, past presidents and current presidents stand up and say, that's what we're going to do. We're going to support them through these things. And that's what allies are supposed to do with one another. The second thing about that is uh, Hamas, as other uh, terrorist organizations, are not organizations that we support. Uh, not only as an ally of Israel, we have never supported terrorist organizations. And uh, again, the United States, the uh, European Union, all of them have exactly the same stance. I know you may say, well, what about the United Nations? You don't want me to go there. So, because uh, <laughs> uh, my, my personal opinion is the United Nations wants to uh, be the government of the world. And so because of that, they tend to want to make everybody happy and it never works. You can't make everybody happy. Um, but uh, anyway, most countries that we ally with, all the countries that we ally with, have exactly the, the same view and the same stance because we realize how necessary it is. Now, like, saying that, listen, war is bad. War, war is painful. War is destructive. Always in wars, innocent people, um, people who have done nothing wrong or not even a part of the conflict uh, will suffer and die. And it, it is just, it, it's, a, it's a bad, bad thing. But... Terrorist organizations have to be opposed. You have to fight against terrorist organizations. And let me tell you why. Think through it. If, you, if you're not sure you agree with that or understand, think through it. If you allow terrorist organizations to operate the way they operate and to move forward and to gain more power, where does that end? It ends in a very, very, very dark and bad place 
for everybody because of the way that they operate and the things um, that they do. And so um, the United States will stand against uh, Hamas and other terrorist organizations and will encourage their allies to do that. And it's just one of those necessary things uh, to do. Just, just to let you know, I didn't do this at the last service, but um, you might not realize or have ever heard of, maybe you have, there's a thing called the Abraham Accords. If you've heard of those, those the past administration started those, their sign-ons to those. This happened because the, the Saudi Arabia was about to sign on to the Abraham Accords to say we oppose terrorist organizations. So they did this in order to prevent that and the current administration still believes, that's their statement, that they will get the Saudis to sign on to that because it helps to understand who we're fighting against. And uh, just like World War II, we fought against the Nazis because the Nazis, it wasn't all Germany we were fighting against, but it was Germany because that was the country that they controlled, but it was the Nazi ideology. And it wasn't like, you know, let's just make peace with them. That was tried for a long time and eventually it became a war. And eventually there was no other recourse except to defeat them and to eliminate their influence. And that's just the way wars work, you know. It's not because we want it to be that way, but it's just the way that, that wars have to work. Second thing is, because we're Christian, we're tied to Israel. And um, I hope you understand that. If you are a believer and you understand, you know, that, that uh, Christianity, uh, Jesus himself, Jesus was Jewish, right? So Jesus comes from the promise that was linked all the way back to Abraham. Uh, you can go to Genesis, right in the middle of the book of Genesis, if you wanna read about Abraham's story, um, and that story is still being played out and will continue to be played out, where Abraham, God comes to him, and he promises to make Abraham a great nation, and he promises to make Abraham a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And that has come about through his son, Jesus Christ, because we were not a part of the Jewish nation, but we have been blessed by the Jewish nation because Jesus came from them and he has become our rescuer, our redeemer. As I tell people, my savior was Jewish, right? <laughs> of course he was. And it was God's promise that came through him to us. But think about Abraham's story. Think about how Abraham is one of those people that God said this about Abraham. The Bible says this about Abraham. God takes the least nation, and there's no least that you can be than Abraham and Sarah. They didn't have children. They're past the parenting age. They're past the grandparenting age. In fact, they're almost past the great-grandparenting age. They've had no children. God makes a promise to them. How is this promise going to be fulfilled? We don't even have children. How can we become a great nation? How can we become, bless uh, you know, bless the world, but God had a plan. But Abraham or Abram does what uh, we do as people. You've probably done it too. We kind of in our mind think, you know, God doesn't really get it. <laughs> you know, God's kind of limited in what he does and he makes promises, yeah, but I don't see how God is going to fulfill that promise. So Abraham and Sarah come up with their own way to fulfill the promise. And uh, thus, there's the child of promise and there's Ishmael and that conflict between those two children because of Abraham and Sarah's actions to try to fix it themselves has continued to go on. Oh, just to let you know, I'm not one of those that say, man, if Abraham had just not messed up, we wouldn't have any conflict. Oh no, we'd have conflict. <laughs> it's there, it's in us. Um, there's an enemy that brings conflict. He is really good at doing it and it would continue. But we are the product of a child of promise. Isaac was the promised child. He was the child that we, 
we are tied to because of our belief and our faith. We're not Jewish. The, the covenant was cut with the nation, a, a physical people on a physical piece of property uh, for, for Abraham and his people. We're not that, but by faith, we are tied into the promises that God has given him. So that's why we have this affinity uh, for the Jewish people. In April, we were just over there, a bunch of people from this church and some other places, we were all together over there because it's just a wonder to go and look at this land that, um, and, and uh, recognize the promises that are there in the Bible cons- concerning this land. And uh, for the longest time, you know, no one believed that those promises could take place because Israel was not a nation for the longest time. Uh, in 70 AD, if you remember, the Romans come and destroy Jerusalem and they destroy the, the, uh, the temple and, and Judaism loses its sacrifices, it loses its temple, it's never had those back again. The people are scattered at that time, and so they cease to exist that way until, does anybody remember when, when Jerusalem became a nation? Anybody remember what date was it, or what year? You remember the year they become a nation again in what year? 48, thank you, yes, you were very good. 1948, coming out of World War II, Israel becomes a nation again. No one believed it could happen. No one believed they would exist again. Just to let you know, there had never been, since the ancient Israel, there had never been a Jewish nation. There are all kind of nations that represent all kind of religions. There had never again been a Jewish nation until 1948, still the only Jewish nation. And they were formed again. They came about in a miraculous way. All of a sudden, so many people that thought the prophecies in the Bible must have been figurative or deal with it, all of a sudden they become real again. And you, and you see the, the, the coming about of those things once again. And it excites Christians because once again, it speaks of the validity of the book and the promises and the things that were promised to us. It reminds us of the promises that God has given us also, so we are tied to those things, um, and and we always will be. So here's what I want to do, um, just just for a minute, um, as as we kind of struggle with this together. I want to take you all the way back to the prophet Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is one of the Old Testament prophets. If you have a Bible with you and you kind of open it up, pretty much in the middle, you're going to find Isaiah and Jeremiah, and you keep going to the right a little bit, and you'll come to this uh, book called Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was a prophet that wrote and prophesied about the the part of Israel that's called Judah, the southern part. And the southern part had been conquered by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was, um, he was Babylonian, and he took all of the people captive and took them over to Babylon, or at least a lot of the people, a lot of them remained there, but, but pretty much annihilated the nation even way back that. It didn't exist again for all practical purposes. And, uh, oh, incidentally, I, I forgot, I gotta throw this one. You'll like this one. The, the name uh, Palestine or the Palestinians, uh, you, may, you probably don't realize where the name comes from. The name comes from 19, um, 19, 135 AD when the uh, emperor of Rome at that time was still mad at the Jews and he wanted to kind of shame them uh, further. And so he renamed the land instead of calling it Israel, he named it Palestine to shame the Jews because it actually comes from the Latin that means Philistines. So if you know the Old Testament and Israel struggle with the Philistines, you understand how this was such a slight to them and it was intentional. And yet, 1900 years later, they're back and the nation has formed again. And being over there, we, we got a chance to see 
what they have done with this land in 70 years. I mean, it is flourishing. They, they even look at the Old Testament prophecies about the desert blooming once again, and they say, there it is. The desert is blooming, you know, and it hadn't looked like this for 2,000 years, maybe even longer uh, than that, that they have turned it into this incredible place, and the people outside of Israel, the Arabs that live outside of Israel, their lives have become more prosperous and more productive because of what Israel has done. It has spread. In fact, one of the leaders in Israel way, way back, um, he was running pipes through Israel, big pipes to irrigate the lands outside of Israel in the desert that the Arabs lived in. And he had pushed back from his own people, why are we spending money to irrigate someone else's land? He just said, it's a good thing. It will be good for us in the long run to help them prosper also. And that has been Israel's approach and what they have done in, in trying to build the land. But at the same time, like I said, they have to oppose those who are who, are, who are, have decided and have sworn to destroy them and wipe them off the face of the earth. That's just you know, part of the struggle that they have. So here's, here's Ezekiel. He's prophesying at a time where they've been taken captive. Uh, it's about 585 BC. And um, as he's prophesying, he's, he's giving God's judgment against the people. Um, you may not realize this, but God, because he did so much for Israel and built them into a nation, that when they deserted him, when they would chase after other gods, other idols, when they would abandon their relationship with him, God would discipline them the way a parent disciplines a child. And very harshly because of, of how God has dealt with them. All for the purpose of turning Israel's heart back to God. Just, just like a, a parent may discipline a child, once again, hoping to grab their attention and turn their heart back to the parents themselves and back to the family. This is, this is God's purpose. And uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, he prophesied for about 22 years. I did put this all in your outline <clears throat> so that you would have kind of a history uh, of the book as we look at it. And this is what it says in Ezekiel 36, beginning with verse number 22. So this is after the, the judgment's been talked about. Um, Ezekiel's going to talk about the future that they have, and he's got these three statements that will show up in this uh, about the future. Here's what he says in verse 22. He says, therefore, give the people of Israel this message, and listen to what he says, from the, not just God or from the Lord, from who? The, yeah, now the reason he says sovereign Lord is he's trying to emphasize to them God will do what he wants to do. God, God can make anything happen. He can, just, just like Israel became a nation, not because of Abraham and Sarah, yes, he worked through them, but God did what only God himself could do, and he constantly showed them that. He constantly, as Christians, as believers, we recognize that God gave us life and gave us hope and a future, not because of who we are, not because of what we have done, but because of who he is. It's his compassion, his love, his mercy that has been extended uh, to us through Jesus Christ. So he's reminding them that of the, the sovereignty, the power, the ability of God to do whatever he wants to do. So he says, I give this message from the sovereign Lord. Here's the message uh, that I bring to you. But he, but he says, but I give it to you. It's not because you, you see that word? Not because you deserve it. It's not because you deserve it. It's because this is what God wants to give you. He says, I'm doing it to protect my holy name, on which you have brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show 
how my holy, uh, how great my name is. The name on which you brought uh, shame, again, he says, among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you from all the nations and will bring you home again to your land. So do you think that is being fulfilled? Um, in, even in our lifetime, as we are seeing Israel once again become a nation and, and appear on the map again? Of course it is. Now, not all fulfilled yet, but of course it's God moving in history and doing things that we thought could not happen um, in the past. I put a couple of statements in there. First of all, um, because I wanted you to see, have this in writing, Israel has a right to defend itself. I know you think, what does that have to do with this passage? Nothing, but I'm just saying, Israel has a right to defend themselves. God has established them. Of course, they're supposed to take responsibility for their land and for their people, and they have a right uh, to defend themselves. But the second thing is, but it's all about God's sovereignty and God's power. Israel is a recipient of it. They're a part of it. They have a role to play, just like you and I have a role to play. But this is because of what God has decided to do for us and what God has done through us that it happens. So verse 25 says this. Uh, then I will sprinkle water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. This is what God is doing to Israel. And you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you, listen to this. He says, and I will give you a what? A new, wow. Sounds like Christianity, doesn't it? Sure it does. God gives us a new heart, a new love. He says, I will put a new spirit inside of you because God is not just trying to force them to do the right thing. He wants them to want to do the right thing, want to live a life that would please him. He says, I will take out your, your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Now, has this all been fulfilled in Israel? No, it has not. We're seeing some fulfillment of it, but this part has not happened yet. Israel still, for the most part, is a secular nation. There are those who worship God and who follow him, but they are kind of gathered from all over the world and, and, and they're pulled together, but the heart change is still occurring and God still has plans. We don't know exactly all of those, but he still has plans for how he's gonna bring those about. So the third thing I put in here is this is about, of course, God changing Israel's heart because that's what he wants. He wants the people that he loved, that he's watched after, that he's given promises to, that God continues to have a plan for them in history that we may not uh, fully understand because you have to remember, Israel rejected their own Messiah, their own savior. We found him because they rejected him. And that is God reaching out to us, but God will reach back. Paul talks about this uh, in his letter in Romans about how you know we are wild olives. We're like wild plants grafted in to the root into our relationship with God. And he says the, the natural branches which were cut off will be at some point grafted back into the life um, that God uh, has. So here's what it says in verse 28. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior. 
I will give you good crops of grain and I will send no more famines on the land. I will give you great harvests from your fruit trees and your fields and never again will the surrounding nations dis, um, be able to scoff at the land for, your, for its famines. Then you will remember your past sins and despise yourselves for all the detestable things you did. But remember, says the sovereign Lord, I am not doing this because you deserve it. Oh, my people Israel, you should be utterly ashamed of all that you uh, have done. Now, let me tell you why I think this is such an important verse and why I like this so much. I think, again, the same thing applies to us. When you all of a sudden realize how much God loves you, and that God in his mercy reaches out to you and that God is bringing you back into the life that you were created for, the, the, the place that, where you will flourish, where you have never flourished for, and he's bringing you back into this. It's then when you understand God's mercy that you're able to say, you know what? And my sin was awful. What I did was awful. The thoughts that I had at times were awful. The direction of my heart to go away from God, it was an awful thing. The reason you can do that is because you know God already knows it and God has already made provision for it. If you don't understand that part, you're not gonna admit your sin. I always love to tell people this when they hammer somebody about their sin who does not have a hope. Why would you admit your sin if you have no hope of rescue? But when you have hope of rescue, all of a sudden you can be honest you can say straight up, yes, it was bad, it was awful, why? Because you have been rescued by the God who loves you. And your hope is not on what you have done, your hope is on who he is in your life. He's gonna do the same thing with Israel. Israel's gonna recognize once again how much God is their rescuer. They've, rescued, they've understood it somewhat, understanding how he's brought them back to this country, but they, it will go further than this, and at some point, some way, God will change their heart. When, I, I, I don't know. It's one of the reasons I, I tell people all the time, because I ask me, why don't you do more prophecy? Well, the reason I don't do more prophecy is because every time we go through something, our understanding of prophecy just changed, right? Just like I said, you know, for the longest time, you go back and read writers, they never speak of Israel becoming a nation again because nobody believed it could ever happen. All of a sudden, oops, it's, it happened. And your view just changed. And every time you go through something and more prophecy, more things that God has foretold have been fulfilled, all of a sudden your view changes on where this is going and what is gonna happen. So it's going to happen. God, God will work things out the way he wants to work them out. The key for you and I, it's just like the key for Israel to realize that God is drawing us to himself. A place where we can be honest, we can be straightforward, we can say, here's what I've done, Here, here's the wickedness of my life. It won't shock God just to help you out. You won't tell God about your sins and he goes, oh, I can't believe, right? He doesn't do that, he already knows. You know, It's kinda like a parent that was watching after you anyway knew everything that you did, just waiting for you to come and admit it, you know, fess up, then we can move forward. Then we can move forward to the good things that we have, you know, the good things that God has for us. That's what he's doing with Israel. Then he says this, and this is another one of those statements that says a good thing he's doing, verse 33, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When I cleanse you from your sins, I will repopulate your cities and the ruins will be rebuilt. The fields that used to lie empty and desolate in plain view of everyone will again be 
farmed. And when I bring you back, people will say, the former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls and they're filled with people. Then the surrounding nations will, uh, that survive will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruins and replanted the wasteland. For I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do what I say. Now, if you've, if you've ever seen pictures, and we, like I said, we got a chance to go there, and you go to Israel now, one of the things that you will notice in areas where it was desolate, and there was nothing there, and it was in ruin, and it just, you know, not a place you wanted to live, now it flourishes, it grows, because they have moved water everywhere. We went to some places that were des desert before, and there are literally thousands and tens of thousands of rows of date palms growing, and, and it's, it's just a whole different uh, view of life because they have learned how to do this, they've worked hard, they are determined that they will not stop also. Uh, I was listening to an interview a couple days ago, BBC was interviewing a lady from Israel, one of their um, political uh, people, and she was saying this, and I love it because she is confident and she is strong. She says this, listen, if you think what we have done for 70 years in taking this land from desolation and building it into this wonderful, prosperous, one of the most prosperous uh, pieces of land on the earth, that we've built it into the, all of this, and if you think we're gonna walk away and just give it away to someone else, you better think again, right? <laughs> and I don't know about you, I'm glad that they're that way. There's a strength in who they are, there's a sense of confidence that something has happened, and I have no idea what her belief is, but deep down there is this belief that God is rescuing them, and he is moving them uh, forward uh, in those beliefs. Then he says this. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am ready to hear Israel's prayers and to increase their numbers like a flock. They will be as numerous as the sacred flocks that filled Jerusalem's streets at the time of her festivals. The ruined cities will be crowded and people once more, um, with people once more, and everyone will know that I am the Lord. So what, what you cannot miss through all of this is that God is doing this for his own namesake and so that the people of the earth We'll see that there's a God in heaven who loves people, he cares for people, and he has done this. So uh, as I said, God is reshaping our hearts just like God reshapes uh, or is trying to reshape the hearts of Israel. And he is eagerly then, when he reshapes our hearts and their hearts, he eagerly listens for our prayers. You know what a parent loves? A parent loves when, when their children, their sons and their daughters come and they speak to them and they speak to them about the hope that they have and, and the future that they have. And they speak to them knowing that these parents care for me. They have watched after me. They have, they have helped build my life. They did all these ones. Because just to let you know, if you're, if you're a, a child, you're not a parent, uh, in parenthood, it doesn't feel like that a lot of times, right? And it's okay. Because we were once children also, I was. And I look back now and I realize how little I understood what my parents did for me. But then you become a parent, you realize, oh man, there's a lot to do. Sure there is. And the question is, does it make a difference? Of course it makes a difference. And there's nothing more impactful upon the parent 
that when the child recognizes all their effort to help give them a life and to give them a good life and they come and they, they lift up their words, their prayers, their, their statements about what their parents have done for them. God is the same way. God is looking for us to willingly make our statements uh, to him and about him. Now I told you I was finishing 1 Corinthians, so I'm gonna jump to the, the uh, last verses in 1 Corinthians 15, and I know you're gonna say, how does this relate? Hold on, let me see if I can tie this together, all right? That's what preachers do. Here's, here's what it says. The New Testament, there's Paul's writings. Look at what he says. This is after he's been talking about the resurrection and he's helping them, Gentiles, he's helping them understand how much God loves them and what God has done for them, even using the, the uh, Jewish people. The, he says this, but let me reveal to you a wonderful, say this word with me, a wonderful what? See, it's a secret because we don't get it sometimes. We don't catch it, we, we miss it, we misinterpret it because of our own circumstances, our own struggles, we say, does God really care? Where is God? I'm not getting what I want. You know, and we, we miss just how much God has done for us and how much God has built for us. And all of a sudden, we get it. He says, let me show you this wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be, say this word with me. We'll all be what? Trans what is transformation? It's change. You don't see it the same way. You're not the same person. You, you can't be the same person now that you know these things and you see these things. He says, it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the trump is blown, and when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. It's one of their questions, uh, the people in, in Corinth, which is, well, wait a minute, if, if God's gonna raise the dead, what about the people who are still here? How are we gonna be united? And he said, yeah, but, Everybody's gonna be transformed when this happened. He says, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. It, death inside of us has to be transformed into life. Despair, discouragement, we will go through that. We have to go through those things. But it will be transformed by God um, into a different view, into a different life. He says, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then verse 54, he says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. And this is two uh, references the Old Testament. The first is in a passage from Isaiah. The next one comes from Hosea. Here's, here's Isaiah's. Death is swallowed up in victory. Wow. Nothing better than that, right? Death doesn't have the last word. Death is not the, the end of the story. And, and who can fix that? No human being, but God can. And then from Hosea, um, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And, and part of the sting he's talking about is we recognize that death comes because of the things we do wrong. Death comes because of wickedness and evil and, and, and death is a bad thing, but it comes because of bad things. And that's why he says, so, so sin is the sting of the death to it. Death says something that we really don't wanna hear. And, he, and then he adds this, these are Paul's words. He says, for sin is the sting that results in death. 
And the law gives sin its power. In other words, the law points out our sins. And in Romans, Paul says this, he says, and it actually gives sin even more power over us because it points it out and it points out that it is in us. We're like, oh man, I liked it better when I could just act like it's not there or ignore it. But this is part of God freeing us. He says, but thanks, but thanks be to God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then maybe my favorite verse in all of 1 Corinthians. Here's what he says. So dear brothers and sisters, say this with me. Be and, wow. So be strong and immovable. In other words, after all that he says, what do, what do we do? Be strong and immovable. Stay on track. Stay after the kingdom. Follow Christ himself. Believe what God has said and don't stray from the path. That's what he's talking about. We do stray, but when we stray, go back to the path. This is the path that God's created for us and it is the path of life for us. Be strong and immovable. He said, always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know, catch this, that nothing that you do for the Lord is ever useless, ever meaningless. I love when I counsel people, um, I love to say this. Listen, here's what you do. You stay on target. You stay on track. You get off track, you get back on track. Why? Because you know where this track ends. And you know if you get off this track, it doesn't end where you want it to. So you stay on track, you stay on target. It's, it's hard, it's, it's not easy because sometimes it just doesn't look like it's gonna turn out the way you wanted it to look, at, look like. But God is faithful, he's always been faithful. You stay after it, you keep moving, you keep believing God, you keep trusting God, and, and there needs to be a, a sense of confidence that you have that God is gonna be faithful. So you do everything you can to gather with other people who believe and who trust and you pray and you read the scripture knowing that God is gonna be faithful. That's why I love to tell people, that's why you have this book. <laughs> you get a chance to go back and look historically and read again, again, and again at God's faithfulness, how God fulfills his promises, how God has stayed with us through all of these things. In fact, there was a, a, a man uh, that uh, he comes up and talks to me and reminds me of this, that years and years ago at a Christmas service, I was preaching and I said something about, hey, you, the stories in here are incredible. You should read this and I'll say it to you. You should read it. You'll be amazed at what's in here. A lot of us just don't bother to take the time and read what God has recorded for us uh, in the Bible, in his word, so that we would, would have faith, so that we would have the strength to stay on track. And so he was, he was not a believer. He took a Bible, started reading it, became a believer. He has a whole ministry himself of what he does. And he loves to come back and remind me that it was that sermon and at that time, which I of course I don't even remember, but at that time that he started to read the book. I didn't change his life. Who changed his life? Sure. How did he change his life? Yeah, promises that, that he gave him that he told him about. See, you can look at me and say, hey, you're just like me, you're another person. What's your opinion? Right. <laughs> but what if the opinion that you have, what if you build it on something that comes from God himself? Something that lasts. And I love to challenge people in this. Go back and find any other writing that you can trace back 
thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years and find an unfolding story of the same God, his faithfulness, his promises. I just read for you a passage that's 2,500 to 3,000 years old, and it's still talking about God doing for us what, what lifts up his name, not because we deserve it. Very New Testament, very Christian today, we understand the same thing. Yeah, because that's, that's who God is. So we get a chance, not because we do it, he does it. But we get a chance to believe him and trust him and say, I'll stay on target, I'll stay on target. That's why Jesus said this, listen, there's a lot of things you can do, a lot of important things, you get all those done. But he said, but first of all, most importantly, you know what you should do? You should seek first the what? Kingdom of God, yes. Seek first God's way, God's plan, God's direction the destination that he wants. That's the first thing you should see. Why? Because he's gonna fulfill that. That's gonna happen. That's the track you wanna be on. So you could say, yep, God was faithful in my life. Not always because it feels like it. Not always easy. But because God promises it. One last thing. One of my favorite characters out of um, Israel's recent past um, is a lady, she was prime minister, she was actually the prime minister of Israel in 1973, the Yom Kippur Wars that they went through, because they've gone through several battles as, as their enemies have tried to drive them off the, the land, and it was a, a lady who was the prime minister of Israel. Does anybody know her name? Yes, thank you. I thought if anybody knows a female prime minister of Israel, it would be Golda Meir. And Golda Meir actually was a part of, a, of Israel becoming a nation. She was a, a lesser... Uh, political role then, but she became the prime minister. And the reason, one of the things I loved about this strong woman, I mean, she is strong and determined and would not be deterred at all. She just had an incredible faith to move forward is she had this one quote and she said this, it's my favorite quote. She says, listen, the one thing that Israelites, people of Israel have against Moses is he leads us through the, the desert and the wilderness to a piece of land in the middle of the east, the only piece of land that has no oil. And I always thought, that is great, you know, because she has such a, a sense of humor. You know, she was just being practical and realistic and saying, man, now, now Israel has found oil and natural gas off their coast. But, you know, it, she's like, yeah, great, you know. How, but they still, without oil, they still built it into one of the most prosperous pieces of land that there is because of their determination and their hard work and their unwillingness to yield and to be discouraged, they continued and continued and continued and she could laugh about, you know, sometimes the things that don't seem to go her way. Let me tell you why that's so important. Everything's not gonna go your way. You're gonna look around and say, somebody has this, I don't have this. God, I don't understand, that's not fair. You're gonna look around and say, look at, look at someone else's talent, skills, opportunity, what, you know, how they were educated. What, listen, it's endless what you can find to discourage you. But if you look to God and you say, that's where I'm gonna head, you'll always find the encouragement that you need, the strength that you need because of who God is and because of how trustworthy God is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you have plans and they're uh, wonderful plans. And so many times, we lose sight or we just don't understand, we just don't know what they are, and we become discouraged. 
And Lord, then we look once again at the things that you did for, for those who came before us and how faithful that you have been even halfway across the world from where we live. And we are called to this same God, same one who called out Abraham, called out Isaac, and called out Jacob, and called out Moses, and the same, same God who had a plan and it continues to unfold, Lord, even with your son Jesus Christ coming to be a Jewish Messiah, the Messiah who would save us, rescue us. And now he is known and worshiped all over the world because of the love and the compassion that you displayed, that you showed us through him. If you're here and you've never put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, maybe you just didn't realize what God did for you and the opportunity, the possibilities for you to say, I believe, I'll follow him. I'll trust him, I will learn. I have the, the opportunity to learn and to grow. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and giving your life for me and all the people that I know. They have the chance to, to put their hope and their trust in you. Thank you for that. Lead me, forgive me my sins, show me your way. Fill me with a new heart, a new spirit, as you promised. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.